0: Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750, wsb talk uh, We have news up front this evening I want to get to about Sterigenics in Cobb County. The governor's office, uh, I think seems to be shifting their tone. And and I think we're at the point where sterigenics really probably needs to be invited to move to a rural part of the state. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, There's a, so for let me just back up real quick. Um, So for those of you who don't know, sterigenics is a facility in Cobb County that uses ethylene oxide to, uh, to disinfect um, or sterilize rather uh, medical equipment. Um, you know, for example, a, just a, a, as, as one real world example of this, if you have a small child and your child is given oral antibiotics, you go to Publix, you go to Kroger, you're more likely than not going to be given a syringe that's in a sealed plastic wrapper. And you have to tear apart the wrapper to get out the syringe to deliver the oral antibiotic or whatever your your child is using. Or you go to a doctor's office and you see something that's in a in a plastic wrapper; they have to tear open to get to it. The way that those things in the plastic are made sterile is they're put into pressurized chambers wherein ethylene oxide is pumped. The ethylene oxide has the unique ability as a gas to penetrate the plastic, get inside the plastic, and sterilizes everything it touches. So you can seal the package. And then put it into the pressurized device where the ethylene oxide is pumped, and it penetrates the plastic and sterilizes everything on the inside, uh, so that nothing is touching it uh, to sterilizing it, touching it to get it into the plastic, and then sealing it. It's sealed in the plastic and then sterilized with ethylene oxide. The problem is that ethylene oxide has been shown now to cause cancer. Uh, it is listed by the EPA as a carcinogen. It was done so in 2016. In 2018 the EPA looked at census tracts that might be affected by ethylene oxide. And uh, some of those were in Georgia. There were some in Covington and there were some in the Cobb County, and um, Fulton County line. And those areas are areas where there are plants that use ethylene oxide to sterilize medical equipment. Now, you should know that uh, most dentist's office, doctor's offices, hospitals use uh, ethylene oxide, although not to a significant degree as these facilities that are big facilities that sterilize medical equipment and medical devices. You will also notice that there is no massive outrage in Covington. It's not because Covington is outside the Atlanta Metro media market. It is inside that market. Uh, it's just that there is not the outrage there that there is in Cobb County in large part because the employer in Covington is the second or, or top employer in that area. Also, uh, there is although it's in a there are census tracts that need to be studied, there haven't been any showings thus far of sharp increases in cancer in the area. That being said, if you look at Sterogenics in Cobb County, uh, there certainly are concerns. Uh, the area where Sterogenics is, a lot of businesses have now fled that area. Uh, employees of businesses that are nearby don't want to come to work. I am told, I have not seen this yet. I, I have someone who knows who says that a media report will be coming very shortly showing that a, a residential area near Sterogenics may have some issues. That's, uh, that report has not come out yet. We don't need to go into into hypotheticals as to what it may or may not show other than that it looks like there will be a media report coming showing that something there's something in the adjacent residential community that should be flagged. Uh, we'll see when we get there. So now, the issue is what to do in the here and now. Sterogenics claims it is putting in new equipment and that new equipment will solve the problem. But will it solve the problem? And there certainly is a trust issue. And it gets into the disclosures we spent time on uh, two weeks ago. And now the governor's office is sharpening their position on stereogenics. I think we may getting be getting to a point where everyone, Republicans and Democrats alike, take the shut-it-down position. And I am, frankly, at the point where I think it would be wise for the Republicans at the state and county level to shut down sterogenics and offer to help them move somewhere else out, outside of the an urban core, particularly when, if we're to be concerned with the interests of business in the area, what about the businesses around the Sterigenics facility uh, and the concerns of the employees there? The EPA has said that uh, the, a, 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 an exposure a, a, a of ethylene oxide is not going to give you cancer, but the long-term exposure of people working in an area who are exposed to ethylene oxide, that could impact them. There is a concern. And now there are signals from the governor's office um, that he's he's sharpening. So Governor Kemp's office has issued criticism of Sterigenics, uh, saying it did not give the state time to assess its plan to expedite upgrades before issuing its announcement of the upgrades in a statement uh, Candace Bros from the governor's office referenced the state's ongoing investigation into sterogenics over a toxic gas leak that forced employees to evacuate in July. This from the AJC. The emergency investigation was opened after sterogenics entered into a legal agreement with environmental regulators last month to install new pollution controls. In response to concerns over its permitted emissions of ethylene oxide, which the EPA now says is a carcinogenic gas and the company uses sterilized medical equipment. On Friday, Sterigenics announced it was suspending sterilization operations so it could finish installing improvements by the first week in October. At the request of Governor Kemp and the EPD, Sterigenics has been working to expedite the installation of technology enhancements to our Atlanta facility and, as previously announced, has been operating under a reduced production schedule, says a statement from Sterigenics. As we implement these enhancements to ensure our facility operates in line with the highest control standards in the country, Our team is also working with customers to minimize the impact on the supply of vital sterile medical products to hospitals and the patients who depend on them every day. Now, the governor's office not happy with the statement. Um, Here's the response from the governor's office. Shortly after the state opened an investigation into an unreported evacuation of the Sterogenics facility in Smyrna, the company fully suspended operations, despite its initial refusal to do so. To focus on the installation of new emission-reducing equipment, because the company has struggled to operate with adequate transparency, we have reservations about this new proposal inexplicably state officials were afforded almost no time to vet its feasibility before the company announced it. We have gathered new information through the course of the state's ongoing investigation. We will withhold judgment about this announcement until we can independently assess the proposal. The safety of Georgia families remains our top priority. Now this gets to an issue and it is an, I told you so moment. And this one particularly aggravates me. I got a very snotty email from a listener who said sterogenics had no obligation to disclose. They didn't have to disclose. It was less than the the amount requiring disclosure. The law says that if sterogenics has a release of ethylene oxide, that is 10 pounds or more. It must uh, notify the state. And if it is not able to ascertain the amount, it must notify the state. Well, it was six pounds. They, they ascertained it was six pounds. So they did not feel the need to say anything. Okay, that's fine. The problem was that we're going through a crisis with this company right now where people's nerves are rattled, people are scared they're going to get cancer, surrounding businesses are nervous, and we live in a society in a day and age with the Internet where people leak. It was bound to happen. And thus it did happen. And Sterigenics was caught flat footed. Had they disclosed this when they met with the state originally, they could have mitigated this. Instead, they chose to say nothing. And they told all their employees, and of course the state was going to find out. To take the idea, to take the position that the law doesn't say I have to, therefore I'm not, is stupid, stupid, stupid in crisis management which is probably why I now have a crisis management team from Chicago emailing me about this, the Sterigenics spin all the time. They went out of state, they hired some group from Chicago, and I keep getting emails from this group uh, helpfully giving me the latest spin from Sterigenics. I don't need the spin. Why do I need the spin when I know they're keeping information from us? They're keeping information from you. They kept information from the governor. They kept information from the EPD when they didn't need to. Yeah, they can say, well, the law didn't require that I had to do it. Uh, Duh, so? You got people freaked out, and you're going to hide behind the law that they didn't have to do it. I mean, sometimes you can't fix stupid. Sometimes the best way to fix stupid is to shut it all down. And they're temporarily shut down right now. This would be the perfect opportunity to shut them down permanently and help them relocate outside an urban metropolitan core a rural part of the state that undoubtedly would one, love the jobs, and two, have enough land, you don't have people and other businesses piled on top of the same census tract, so you're not going to have to worry about people getting cancer from the ethylene oxide. Seems like this would be the perfect time for the governor elected by rural Georgia to help relocate sterigenics to rural Georgia, where I'm sure they would love the governor bringing them new jobs, jobs where they live far enough away from the plant, they don't have to worry about the contaminants at the plant. In any event, maybe it's time to just tell sterogenics, look elsewhere. We don't need Jin Cobb County. It is 26 after the hour. This may come as a shock to all of you, but Brian Kemp and Jeff Duncan, our governor and lieutenant governor, are engaged in state-sponsored genocide. The silence is intentional. You must digest this fact. You must the governor and the lieutenant governor are engaged in state-sponsored genocide, ethnic cleansing, if you will, wiping out an entire people based on their race or ethnicity. I'm not even talking about people outside the SEC. No, they're, 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 they're wiping out whole tracts of people. It's, it's horrifying. The NAACP of Georgia is exposing them as being engaged in state-sponsored genocide. Now, you, you, you're you probably wondering, what is this genocide? Your neighbors, it's not like net neutrality or, or the tax cuts or, or anything like that where half the people in the country died. No, 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 no. This is something far worse, according to the NAACP. The NAACP wants you to know that Jeff Duncan and Brian Kemp are engaged in state-sponsored genocide because they are refusing to expand Obamacare in Georgia. That's right. It's state-sponsored genocide. The refusal to adopt the NCAAs. Well, <laughs> we could go down that road too, but the NAACP's proposed policy position. Because they're not doing it, they are being accused of state-sponsored genocide. But, 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 the Georgia NAACP helpfully also notes that the Georgia Republicans and Democrats are also complicit in helping Kemp and Duncan participate in state-sponsored genocide because they're not standing up to them and that they're letting them get away with it. So even the Democrats in the state are complicit in, in state-sponsored genocide this is rather profound is it not this is this is a rather staggering thing that that we would be at this point where we have state-sponsored genocide now let me just let, let me let me shift gears here let me ask you a question that kind of sums this up what would the reaction be if Donald Trump accused someone of state-sponsored genocide for not adopting his healthcare position. What would the national media be doing? We have the NAACP accusing elected officials of state sponsored genocide for not doing their preferred healthcare position policy and they're being accused of genocide. This this should be outrageous and this should be national news. But it's Democrats doing it to Republicans, so the media is giving them a pass. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number, 404 8720 750 eight800 wsb Talk. I need to move on because I have data you need to know. I've actually done the math for you. Stacey Abrams has a big piece uh, that is circulating in Washington, D.C. You cannot actually find it yet in the media. It has not leaked yet, um, but it's, it's only a matter of time. Um, it is a, it's, it's a pretty, essentially what she's doing is a big memo to the Democratic Party telling them that they need to invest major resources in Georgia in 2020, that Georgia is in play. And by being in play, they're missing a huge opportunity to pull the state over for the Democrats and also uh, that essentially, and this is what she's not telling them, lay the groundwork for her running for governor again in 2022. This is a, I I think I read it's a 13 page memo that is making its way through Democratic circles into your nearest media outlet soon, in which she explains that Georgia's a swing state that they don't have to run mushy moderates they can run progressives and they need to invest in the state and i continue to maintain that the democrats have misinterpreted 2018 and i want to br- i my thesis is that the democrats nationwide turned out at presidential levels and Republicans did not and that this matters. This matters very consequentially and I need you to understand why and I need you to understand what the data says and I think you'll understand why the the Georgia is not as in play as Stacey Abrams wants you to believe. And again, I, I do think it is deeply relevant. I think it is very much deeply relevant that what the what's happened here is that the Abrams camp is trying to convince Democrats to lay groundwork so that the Abrams camp can use it in 2022. They need the money. And I don't blame them um for that but we we need to just keep our perspective here so let me run the numbers for you i've done the math for you so that you'll understand what's at stake here and there are some very interesting uh things that really can help us look to 2020 and see why republicans need to be concerned but why they don't need to freak out so now my theory is that Republicans did not... Republicans turned out at a midterm level. Democrats turned out at a presidential level in 2018. If you look at the 2016 turnout versus the 2018 turnout, you see that Democrats operated as if the president was on the ballot. Presidential turnout is always higher. Republicans in midterms tend to have a dip of about 100, 150,000 people and uh, then it springs back up. So let's, let's look at the data. In 2016 you had 5,443,046 people registered to vote. That number to 2018 increased uh, by 985,535 people. So you went from 5.4 million registered to 6.4 million registered between 2016 and 2018. A lot of that does have to do with Stacey Abrams registering new people. There's a problem. The new people didn't turn out to vote. In 2016, 4.16 million people voted, and in 2018, 3.94 million people voted. In other words, uh, 215,500 people didn't show up in 2018 that showed up in in 2016. If you want the number so it doesn't hurt your head, put it to you this way. 76% of eligible voters showed up in 2016. 61% showed up. In 2018. So more than three quarters of the state's voters showed up in 2016. And less than two thirds showed up in 2018. And how did that shake up? Well, exactly as I told you it would. The Republicans had 110,000 people, less people in 2018 than they had in 2016. But Democrats had 45,000 more people show up in 2018. Democrats, if Stacey Abrams voter registration drive, it worked, but it only worked two degrees. I mean, just consider, 985,000 new voters registered between 2016 and 2018, and Stacey Abrams could only get 45,000 of them to go vote. That's really not a good metric. Here's the other thing you need to remember is that in 2016, more than 1% of voters who voted refused to vote for president. They refused to pick between the candidates on the ballot. In 2018, less, uh, only about one-tenth of 1% refused to vote. This is rather significant because more than a full percentage point of voters in 2016 refused to vote, and virtually everyone who showed up in 2018 voted in the gubernatorial ballot. That was the top line on the ballot in 2018. The president was the top line in 2016. So again, 985,000 people registered to vote for the 2018 election that weren't there in 2016, but Abrams only got an increase of 45,000 people. Now let's just say, let, let's say this is, this is an argument. This is an argument that Democrats use that some of the, the, the Republicans saw a decline of 110,000 people. Okay, Stacey Abrams says she only lost by fifty-five thousand votes in an off-year election. Republicans lost hundred ten thousand people. So let's say that some of that loss of that hundred ten thousand people, let's say, well, it wouldn't have been half, but let's say let's be charitable. Let's say forty thousand of those people voted for Stacey Abrams. Okay. All right, Stacey Abrams lost by, by 55,000 votes. 70,000 Republicans who normally show up and vote Republican didn't show up in 2018. 2020 will be different. Why? Because 2020 will be a presidential year. You will have the president. You will have both of Georgia's Senate seats there. So Abrams in an election year where Republicans turned out as a, at a midterm level still lost by 55,000 votes and had charitably let's say 70,000 Republicans didn't participate. In 2020, those 70,000 people will and again the real number is 110,000 Republicans didn't participate, but let's go with the democratic argument and say some of them voted, and they voted for Stacey Abrams. Okay, well, if that's why she had the 45,000-person increase, eh, we're being charitable. Let's say 40,000 of those were Republicans. There are still 70,000 Republicans who will show up in 2020 who did not show up in 2018. So Abrams lost by 55,000. Let's add 55,000 to the 70,000 who will show up, and guess what? Abrams winds up losing in 2020 by 125,000 people, not 55,000 people. The numbers, the numbers are important. And by the way, well, what is that 125,000? That, that roughly is equivalent to the gap of the Republican voters who normally turn out in a general election for the president and don't turn out in a midterm election. You're talking between 125,000 Republicans typically will be the difference between an election where the president's on the ballot and an election where the governor's on the ballot in Georgia. Why? Because the governor appears on midterm ballots and not on presidential ballots. The turnout is always low. Democrats, to their credit, were able to treat 2018 in Georgia just like a presidential year. In fact, the Democrats saw 45,000 more people vote in 2018 than voted in 2016. That's really, really impressive until you consider they registered 985,000 people. And could only get 45,000 people to show up. Before I go to commercial break, let's do the math here. Uh, You've got 45,000 out of the 985,000 registered. And what does that work out to? Um, Pretty significant. Only 4.5% of the people registered. Really? That's not good. You spend all that time and energy and money from left-wing activist groups getting close to a million new people registered to vote, and only 45,000 of them actually turned out to vote for you. That's really not a hallmark of success, and that's why Georgia's not nearly as in play as the Democrats want you to believe. It is Eric Erickson here, the phone number, 404 wsb talk Matt in Gainesville, you're up next. Welcome.
1: Hey, Eric. Uh uh so good to talk to you. Thank you. Um I was just uh I enjoyed the, the last argument on um uh Abrams memo, uh but I was wondering if if that argument uh sorta of would lull any Republican ground game if if you're making that argument that a hundred and twenty five thousand will be be good enough come twenty twenty.
0: Well, listen, there will certainly be an increase even among Democrats again in 20 in 2020. But the Republican margin in 2018 was fifty five thousand. Uh, so any increase will also come from Republicans. let Let's give the Republicans historically have about a hundred hundred ten thousand more that come out in a um, in a presidential year. So that gives you a hundred fifty five thousand extra Republican votes in Georgia above the Democratic base. So let's say Democrats go out and recruit. Well, if the Democrats recruit another million people, remember, they brought in 45,000 more people in 2018 than they did in 2016. So if they recruit another million people, which brought in 45,000 the first time, that brings in 45,000 this time. Yes, it is closer to parity, but the Republicans will bring in more as well which still gives the Republicans an advantage, particularly if they do a ground game this time, which they didn't do in 2018. The GOP still has a cushion of about 55 to 60,000 voters. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB, the phone number if you would like to be a part of the program, 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, real quick, uh, Chris Carr... Uh, The attorney general in the state is under fire from local Democrats for filing an amicus brief at the United States Supreme Court. And this gives you some insight into where Democrats are in the state of Georgia. Uh, You know, uh, so Bob Trammell is the state House Democratic leader. And Bob Trammell has never walked back his support of Erica Thomas, the idiot legislator who was in the, the 10 or fewer items line at Publix who claimed the man told her to go back to where she came from. And the eyewitnesses said, no, no, actually, she's the one who told the man that after he berated her for having so much in the 10 items or fewer line. Bob Trammell supported her. The security footage and everything came out. And now it's clear uh, that she grossly exaggerated what had happened to make herself more sympathetic. He's never called on her to apologize to the man that uh, the eyewitness say she was the one who told the, the Hispanic man to go back to where he came from. Well, Bob Trammell has also kept his mouth shut on the uh, Georgia NAACP accusing Brian Kemp, uh, Jeff Duncan, and even the Georgia Democratic Party of state-sponsored genocide for expanding Medicaid. Bob Trammell has not denounced that heated rhetoric. He likes to come out and accuse Republicans of being too bombastic and, and filled with hyperbole. He does not want to accuse the NAACP of that, so he's kept his mouth shut. And now he's upset with Chris Carr, the state attorney general. Let me read you. What Bob Trammell has to say, instead of taking action to enact common sense gun safety laws, our state prefers to file briefs in support of gun manufacturers in an out-of-state case emanating from the shooting of elementary school children in Sandy Hook. That's his outrage about Chris Carr filing an amicus brief. Uh, Chris Carr wants the Supreme Court to take a case from gun manufacturer Remington. Remington is appealing a decision from the Connecticut Supreme Court in which the Connecticut Supreme Court decided that Remington could be held liable for the shooting at Sandy Hook. Except that's not really what the Connecticut Supreme Court decided. Because there's a federal law that says you can't sue gun manufacturers for Uh, deaths caused by guns. That would be like suing GM every time someone dies in a car wreck. Here's the problem. What Connecticut did is it filed a lawsuit against Remington based on a state law related to how Remington advertises its guns, essentially claiming that Remington's ad campaigns uh, wooed young men to buy Remington guns to kill people. You will recall the facts of the Sandy Hook case. No gun was purchased by the shooter. The shooter murdered his mother to get her gun. How Remington can be held responsible for the shooter murdering his mother to get her gun is beyond me. And it's even beyond the very progressive Chief Justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court, who in his amicus brief, or in his dissent, wrote... That while he would love to be able to go after Remington to twist a state statute to get around a, fro- a federal prohibition and then use a state advertising statute to hold liable a company uh, that did not advertise to the target audience and could not have foreseen that someone would murder their mother to get their gun, uh, that, that, that's, that's an unconscionable breach of justice in this country. The Chief Justice of the Connecticut Supreme Court says it's an unconscionable breach of justice in this country to twist a state law, to get around a federal law, to get a desired outcome, when even under the state statute, the outcome is unwarranted. And Bob Trammell, the Georgia Democratic leader, says it's a okay with him that justice was twisted to go after the bad gun manufacturers. That's unfortunate that bob trammell is not on the side of the rule of law and this is about the rule of law for all the people who complain about donald trump twisting the law to suit his own purposes like for example reallocation of funding to pay for the border wall they should be outraged at what the connecticut supreme court and the state of connecticut did to remington but they're not because it's guns and they're willing to pervert the rule of law for their own sake they just don't like donald trump doing it They don't really care that Donald Trump did it. They care that it was Donald Trump being the one doing it. And that's unfortunate. And Bob Trammell is in that in that camp and he would be in charge of the state House of Representatives if Democrats got in charge of it. You should remember that. Okay. We we need to move on to other stuff. I I, I just I want to make a point on this Brexit matter. I you know, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on Brexit. Brexit doesn't really uh, apply to those of us in Atlanta. I'll I'll explain what Brexit is very briefly. Uh, On October 31st, uh, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland will withdraw from the European Union common market and be their own independent country again. And the uh, House of Commons, uh, the Parliament in Great Britain, has voted that you're not allowed to leave uh, the European Union without a deal. The hang-up is an open border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Ireland wants an open border with Northern Ireland, uh, where there is no physical boundary separating the two. That's the way it is right now because they're all within a common trading zone. If they're no longer in a common trading zone then you've got to have a border there because Northern Ireland belongs to the U.K. and not Ireland. And the Irish are afraid it will spark violence if there is a border there. Northern Ireland wants to be treated just like the rest of the U.K., and so Northern Ireland wants a border if they're going to leave the European Union. Uh, The compromise proposal from the Europeans is we put the border on the other side of Northern Ireland, which is an island, which means that if Northern Ireland wants to trade with the U.K., Then you would have to go through a a customs arrangement, which is nonsensical. Well, in in the latest Barb to fire it, I I think one person who can kind of sum this up best is a Beatle. That would be Ringo Starr. The people voted and, you know, they have to get on with it. Not suddenly it's like, oh, well, we don't like that vote. And uh, what do you mean you don't like that vote? You had the vote. This is what won. Let's get on with it. Would you have voted that way? I would have you'd... voted for Brexit, yeah. I would have voted to get out. But don't tell Bob Geldof. <laughs> <laughs> why did you vote that way, Ringo? Well, because I think, it's, I think it's a great move. I think, you know, to be in control of your own country is a good move. To be in control of your own country is a good move. That's why most people voted for Brexit. Remember, they didn't think it was going to win and it wound up winning. Well, let me read you the story from The New York Times. Britain and the United States have often seemed lashed together amid the populist storms of the last few years, Brexit and the Trump White House echoing and amplifying each other across the Atlantic. But in one respect, they have radically diverged. In London, rebels in the Conservative Party staged a dramatic insurrection in the past week against Prime Minister Boris Johnson, blocking his plan to withdraw Britain from the European Union even without a deal. In Washington, scarcely a handful of Republicans have stood up to President Trump, even when he has flouted party orthodoxy on issues like trade immigration and the deficit the Tory party's revolt against Mr. Johnson his ruthless purging of the rebels are reverberating through British politics threatening his hold on power for dispirited Republicans though this British revolution has become an object lesson in how a center right party can stand up to a wayward leader let me give you a different spin on the New York Times story the conservative rebels in Great Britain are defying a vote of the people The Republicans in Congress in the United States are respecting the will of the people. The people of the United States voted for Donald Trump, whether you like it or not. And there are lots of it I don't like, including tariffs. But the president openly campaigned for tariffs. He's giving the people the tariffs he said he would do. He's keeping his promise. So, of course, the Republicans aren't going to stand up to him. Meanwhile, in Great Britain, the conservatives said they would go along with the will of the people. The people voted to leave the United, it leave the European Union, and the conservatives in Great Britain are saying, oh, no, 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 we, we, we can't actually leave. It's kind of unfortunate. But look at where the New York Times is citing. They're citing with the elitist opinion to avoid implementing the will of the people. You know, there's some polling out today in this country that's very relevant to this. We'll get to. When we come back, the phone number here four zero four eight seven two seven five zero one eight hundred WSB Talk. You know, just just finishing off this point here on the Democrats and or the media and how they're covering this. You know, the Washington Post sent a reporter down to Mobile, Alabama, to cover the hurricane. Not because anybody ever thought the hurricane was going to Alabama but because they wanted to rub it in that the president was wrong about the hurricane impacting Alabama when now we actually even have the president's team, in fact, sent out footage of a CNN reporter uh, saying that uh, Hurricane Dorian might impact Alabama. Yeah, you listen, this whole story is stupid. I mentioned the other day, when I was a kid, there was a movie called The War of the Roses. It was Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner and Danny DeVito. And it was about a couple that fell in love, got very, very rich and began to hate each other's guts. And they had this immaculate huge house and they began fighting over every square inch of the house and everything about their lives. And the movie ends as Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner climb on to the crystal expensive crystal chandelier in the house to fight over it. And it plummets from the ceiling down the stairs to the between the stairs to the ground and they die. And the last scene of their lives is Michael Douglas reaching his hand across to put his shoulder on Kathleen Turner as if to forgive her or to acknowledge they've been foolish. And she uses her last bit of strength to shove his hand away. And I really think we're there with the president of the press. For years, they had a productive relationship that made them both prosper. The media got ratings, the president got press, they all lived happily ever after until he became president, and now they're going through a messy divorce, and we're kind of watching and waiting for them to climb onto that chandelier and plummet so we can move on to the next story. This Sharpie Gate story with the president, the marker, and the path of the hurricane is now on its eighth day of media coverage, CNN continuing to give it major headline coverage, it's the stupidest story of the week. Meanwhile, they're ignoring so many other big stories, including the tanker turned over at St. Simons. We'll get to that when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number, 404 872 750 WSB talk. Uh, three of the four crew members off that ship. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, keep in prayer for that last one. So Mark Sanford says he's going to run against President Trump in the primary. Listen he's not going to win. He's not. Uh, he'll serve as a way to protest uh, the president, uh, but he's not going to win. In fact, South Carolina's not even going to have a Republican primary for president. Uh, and other, other states may do that as well. I, I think Kansas and Nevada, likewise, aren't going to have Republican presidential primaries. But for those people who were thinking of, of supporting Joe Walsh, Mark Sanford is actually a a credible candidate, unlike Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh just wanted to be Trump light. Uh, Mark Sanford actually has issues he wants to care about, and you know honestly. Uh, so I I see the president ding, dinging Mark Sanford today over his Appalachian Trail escapades. Uh, this is kind of funny to see the president's team going after him for that, given everything the president's done in his private life. And I I think that Mark Sanford should be open and honest about it and and say yes. The president and I have had it, both had infidelity issues. The difference is that I'm prepared to go take a hike on the Appalachian Trail instead of getting on Twitter. And he could totally neutralize the issue in a funny way. Uh, but he's not going to win. Uh, he, he, he'll serve as a protest vote. And as the president continues to do things the president does, well, he probably will pick up some protest votes, but he's still not going to win. That's just the reality. Uh, James in Monticello, you're going to be next. Welcome.
1: Hey Eric. That was a perfect lead in to my question. Uh, the never Trumpers, the one who's the ones who said no matter what they would never ever vote for Donald. Do yep. you think that number is going to go down, and do you think it's going to go down significantly?
0: Look, I do think it's going to go down. I was one of them, and I've said I'll vote for the president in in 2020 given the insanity on the Democratic side. The the question, I think, is uh, when we get to 2020, who are people going to think is more insane, the president or the Democrats? Because suburban voters, uh, they don't really care about principle, and they don't really care about values. They care about their 401k. And if they think the Democrats are going to hurt their 401k more than the president, even if they don't like the president, they're going to go vote for him stop the Democrats. And in fact, there is data out there today on this very issue. There is polling that shows, and this is from uh, David Leinhart at the New York Times, who is freaking out about this data from Pew Research, that in 2018, a majority of Americans liked the Democratic Party and hated the Republican Party. And today, the party favorability is tied. Why? because the democrats have gone so far over the edge i want to play some audio for you to give you the sense of this listen to this audio and this gives you a sense of the democrats problems
2: would you support changing the dietary guidelines yes you know the food pyramid but people yes yes to reduce red meat specifically yes i would do you ban plastic straws i think we should yes so would you ban offshore
1: drilling yes just today the trump administration announced plans to overturn requirements on energy-saving light bulbs, would you reinstate those requirements? as the, If you can get electricity from a light bulb that utilizes one-tenth of the power that an old incandescent light bulb uses, of course you're going to do that. We have to take the take combustion-engine vehicles off the road as rapidly as we can.
2: Educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe?
1: Well, Martha, the answer is yes. I think, especially in poor countries around the world, uh, where women do not necessarily want to have large numbers of babies, and where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have, something I very, very strongly uh, support.
2: Let's talk about offshore drilling for oil.
1: Would you ban it? Yes.
2: Would you ban offshore drilling? Absolutely, yes. We will transition off of fossil fuels, natural gas, coal, oil. What about the export of fossil fuels from the United States you Japan that? Absolutely, we must get to that point.
1: There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking.
2: I'm in favor
1: of a carbon-free America. In my administration, we're not going to build any new nuclear power plants. We, 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 we set out the rules for what kind of plant, you know, coal-burning plants. No one's going to build another coal burning. We've got to shut the ones down we have. We're going to end factory farming because that is not only that is a danger to the environment and to climate change. There will be a transition. There will be a transition and, and, and there will be some pain there. Yeah, so we're going to ban
0: farming. We're going to ban the combustion engine. We're going to ban oil drilling. We're going to ban fracking. We're going to ban natural gas use. We're going to ban coal use we're going to ban straws, we're going to ban cows, we're going to ban the light bulb, on and on and on it goes. I mean, there were about 12 things, the Democrats, and that's a montage of the various Democratic candidates, and they're going to ban all these things. How many people are going to be put out of work because of what the Democrats want to do? And that's the thing for the president. It doesn't matter what he says or what he does If the voters believe that the Democrats will hurt the economy more than the president, the president has a fighting chance to get reelected. Right now, it looks like the economy is on the downturn. And with the economy being on the downturn, that hurts the president because the president always gets the credit and the president always gets the blame. But the president can avoid the blame by convincing voters that the Democrats are worse. And don't say it can't happen because that's what happened in Australia. In Australia, the Labour Party there, the the left there was expected to win, was expected to have a blowout against the Liberal Party, which are the Conservatives in uh, Australia. And the Conservatives in Australia convinced the public that the left would have economically devastating consequences over their desire for a carbon tax and their climate change agenda. And it worked. It turns out, in fact, polling in this country shows that the biggest winner of the Democrats foray into the CNN climate cult festivities was, in fact, President Trump. I need to play you a clip real quick and then I'll comment on it. Uh, Poor old Beto O'Rourke. He's just trying to find his way in the world now. And he gave a speech in New Hampshire, and and this is one of the things he said.
2: This is a violent country that loses more than 40,000 of our fellow Americans every year to gun violence. And this is a country that has been defined by foundational, systemic, endemic racism since the very founding of this country, August 20th of 1619 the first time that a kidnapped African was brought here against his will and made to serve as a slave to build the greatness and the success and the wealth of this country, which his descendants would never be able to fully participate in. This is the reality of the United States of America and sooner or later it was going to find us. It wasn't a matter if, it was a matter of when. And on August 3rd it did, when a gunman who legally purchased an AK-47 a weapon designed for killing people as effectively, as efficiently, in as great a number as possible on a battlefield, drove 600 miles, fueled by that racism, that hate, that fear, and that intolerance that has always been part of this country.
0: He sure does hate this country for a man running for president, but if he really thinks there's this much systematic racism in the country, systemic, I'm sorry, he says systemic, systemic racism in this country since its founding uh, well before it was ever a country, which is fascinating that he would say this. Why is he running for president? There are multiple non-white, non-male candidates running for president on the Democratic side, and Beto is standing in their way. Why is Beto O'Rourke running for president of the United States and instead of supporting one of these people? Why does Beto think he needs to get elected as opposed to championing one of these people? I I have no idea. This is, I mean, none of us should ever get our brain on Beto O'Rourke. This is just bizarre behavior from a guy who is desperate to find a message that isn't really going to work for him very well. Uh, Just pitiful, pitiful, pitiful.